In preparation for Easter, I'd like you to turn to Acts chapter 4, God's hand and plan. We're going to look at what happened on Calvary, what Jesus was preparing to do as he was entering into Jerusalem, and we're going to look at it through Psalm 2. So let's go to our Bibles, and we're going to start at Acts chapter 4, verse, well, we'll start at 23. All right. Acts 4.23, when they were released, this is Peter and John who were arrested, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, so this is the prayer of the early church, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. We go on. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. This is a powerful understanding of the early church of what God did on Calvary, what God did through the crucifixion. And they are relating Psalm chapter 2 to that event. They're saying that it was God's sovereign will and sovereign plan to have Jesus Christ crucified on that hill. God purposed this from the beginning of creation. They understood that. So they're praying together and the first thing they say is sovereign Lord. How many of you know what a sovereign is? There's no one higher. He's the sovereign. All things are in him, by him, through him. He is the authority that is above all other authorities. The sovereign Lord. He knows the beginning from the end. He put it this way using the Hebrew alphabet, or the Greek alphabet. I'm the alpha and the omega. What would he say if he was using the English alphabet? I'm the A to the Z. Anything in between, anything you spell with those letters, I know. I've done. I'm the beginning and the end. He knows the beginning from the end. He knows all time. He knows all history. He is outside of time. He is sovereign. He, in fact, he goes on to, they go on to explain the sovereignty of God. He made the heavens, he made the earth, and he made the sea and everything in them. He's talking about the heavenly realms. He's created all heavenly beings, not only the planets, but we're talking spiritual beings, angels, seraphim, cherubim, every dimension of angelic spirit being he created on the earth everything that inhabits the earth he created everything and in the sea everything that's swimming and moving he created right so above all things everything he created in them who through the mouth of our father David your servant said by the Holy Spirit so King David was a prophet when he would write the Psalms he was prophesying about Messiah And he said this, and this is where Psalm 2 comes in. Why do the nations rage, or Gentiles? Gentiles, nations, the same word. You can use it the same, all right? So every power on the earth that is not Israel is 
the Gentiles or the nations. Why do the nations raise, rage and the peoples, that would be Israel, the peoples plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. Anointed. Does anybody know the Hebrew word for the anointed? Messiah. What's the Greek word for the anointed? Christ. So we say Jesus Christ. That's saying Jesus Messiah. Okay? Can I, this is extra tip for you. When you're reading your Bible, wherever you see the word Christ, would you replace that with Messiah? It will give you a really different perspective from the first century point of view. It'll connect your Old Testament to New Testament. We're so used to saying Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. We think that's his last name. But if you would say Jesus Messiah, Jesus Messiah, Jesus Messiah, you, in your mind and in your spirit, you're connecting Old Testament and New Testament together. So every time you see Christ, say Messiah. So against the Lord and against his anointed, that's the Messiah. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed as Messiah, Herod, Pilate, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel. All right? Now we're going to break that down. And so they're asking the question of Psalm chapter 2, which begins, why? Why are the Gentiles in Israel raging against you? Why do they plot? And it says, in vain. Didn't we start this prayer with him being sovereign? So any plot of the enemy, even against you, is what? In vain. God is going to accomplish his sovereign will in your life. As you walk in agreement with him, any plot of the enemy is in vain. Got to walk with him. Start straying, start moving. The enemy's going to set traps and try and spoil things. You're going to walk outside the Lord's will. Stay in step with the Holy Spirit. Anything that the enemy tries to do against you is in vain. Why do they rage? Why do they plot? Says the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his Messiah, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. So the nations, the Gentiles, and it says the rulers of the earth. We'll get into the depth of what that means. That actually goes beyond just uh, Gentile human beings. We're talking in the heavenlies too. And the people of Israel, they are plotting. How many of you remember they plotted against Jesus? At this point, as he's getting ready to enter into Jerusalem, he did his one final miracle that just busted this whole thing loose. Does anybody remember what it is in John 11? He raised Lazarus from the dead. From that point on, they said, this man must die. And they also wanted to kill who else? Lazarus. They plotted to kill him. Why kill Lazarus? Yeah, get rid of the evidence. <laughs> they plotted to kill him. At this point, they're plotting. They're hiring people to, for false witness. And uh, they're scheming 
To do what? Counseling together against the Lord's anointed. Why? Verse 3 of Psalm 2. Let us burst their bonds apart. And he goes on and he says this. And cast away their cords. Now, the bonds are what he binds things together with. What does the Lord produce? Love and mercy. They want to destroy that. The cords of God's mercy, the cords of Jesus' ministry. Jesus showed mercy and grace, didn't he? And truth. They're trying to destroy those things. We've got to get those, rid of those things. How many of you know we're in that same warfare today? A warfare against truth, the love and the mercies of God. The enemy is trying to burst the bonds and the cords of the Lord out of the earth. But what is God's response in verse 4? He who sits in the heavens laughs. God's laughing at this effort. Absolutely in vain. The Lord holds them in derision. He will speak to them in His wrath and terrifying them in His fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. It says, we go back to Acts now, chapter 4, and verse 28. God, you predestined, you planned this sovereignly that you were going to work Herod, Pontius Pilate, the nations, and the people of Israel together to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Your hand emphasizes power and the plan emphasizes the purpose. So here they are, the nations and Israel is scheming and plotting to kill the Messiah, to burst the cords of God's plan, to bind mankind back to Him through the love and justice of God. They want to destroy that. All of this is happening in the heavenlies. All right? Well, Jesus is preparing to walk into Jerusalem. They're planning and scheming to kill him. But who's behind all of it? Who's allowing it? Who is orchestrating it? God. Now, they have free will. He has, Herod, being sarcastic, come on, turn some, do some kind of miracle for me. Come on. Mocking him. Pilate, I don't want anything to do with this. But he's stuck there. He washes his hands of it. And the scheming of the Jews, they hate him. They're coming against him. God knew that. God isn't making them do it. He knew they would. The more that Jesus reveals who he is, the stronger the hatred. It's no different than Passover when Moses kept showing the power of God to Pharaoh. What happened to Pharaoh's heart? Harder and harder. Saying God is stronger than the gods of Egypt. He didn't make Pharaoh's heart get hardened. All he did was show Pharaoh who he was. Jesus wasn't making their hearts hardened. He was just revealing his glory. So the same sun that melts wax hardens clay. Depends on your heart. How many of you know that? The more Jesus is revealed in all of His glory, it melted your heart and it hardens others. 
So God had a plan. He's going to fully reveal. You have the transfiguration of Jesus and his majesty. The, de- the, the disciples got to see that. Then he demonstrates his power over death. He begins to decree against the temple. He turns over money changers. He's speaking exactly what the word of God says, not their uh, system of law that they developed on their own, but what God's true law says concerning love and caring for one another. And it made their hearts harder and harder and harder. They're planning and scheming, but God knew in sovereign time this was going to happen. Now listen to what he says. I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. That word set in the Hebrew means poured out like an offering or poured out like oil. How did God set his king on Mount Zion? Poured out. Jesus said this, this is my blood at the Last Supper, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. How did God establish his king on Mount Zion. The cross of Jesus Christ. They thought they were winning. They thought they were defeating God's plan. They thought they were killing just some fool. In the heavenlies, that spirit realm, they thought they were getting rid of God's son. They were scheming and planning. God laughs at this because they had no clue as to what they were doing. And God says, I laugh. He who sits in those heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he speaks to them with his wrath and his fury saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. He provided on that holy hill where the temple was and on Calvary the sacrifice for sin that lambs and bulls couldn't pay for. This was paying for the price of all of us. The blood of Jesus was poured out. I have poured out my king on Mount Zion. That's what he did. Now, let's go back to this Why do the nations rage? Verse 7 in Psalm 2, he says this, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. That's still part of Psalm 2. This is what the first church was talking about. When Jesus was poured out, his blood poured out on the earth, he was set on Calvary, he was set on Mount Zion in that holy city as the king. Jesus says, today I have begotten you as my son. What does he mean? His son, the king. The king of all the earth. The son of God is king over all. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage. And the ends of the earth, your possession. And you shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. What's he doing? He's reclaiming the nations back to God. He's going to bring all nations back 
to the Son of God and to the Lord and break all the rulers that were keeping them apart from Him. This is the plan of Eden. This is the plan to restore mankind back to God. Let me ask you a question. Where were the nations scattered? In what part of the Bible? What story do we see all the nations scattered? Babel, Tower of Babel. Right? All right, look in your outline. This is the mindset of the early church. This is what they understood was happening. In Deuteronomy 32, verse 9, it says this. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, He divided mankind. He fixed the border of the peoples according to the numbers of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion is His people. Jacob is His allotted heritage. This is what's so important in history of Israel, uh, of the nations. At the Tower of Babel, God had tried to bring mankind back to Him. He destroyed them. He tried to work through Noah and his family. Sin continued, and it got to such a bad situation again. They tried to reach the heavenlies, not not by height because of a really tall tower. That tower was trying to reach the, the, the spirit realm. And God said He was going to divide the nations and use one nation to develop as a light to all the nations to bring them back. So when He divided them, according to Deuteronomy, He divided all the nations according to the number of the sons of God. We're sons of God now after the cross, but in the Old Testament, who are the sons of God? In order to be a son of God, you have to be a direct creation of God Himself. The angels. The angels. The reason there are 70, God divided 70 nations at that time, is because of the number of the divine council of angels in heaven. And He set angels or principalities and rulers over each nation. These angelic beings, rulers and principalities and powers, were established over the nations, and God said, I'm working with one of them. Acts 17, Paul says, in time past, God ignored you, Gentiles, because he had the angels operating over them. And he was working with Israel to be Israel's God, to rise up, eventually to draw all the nations back. But they didn't do too good, those, that angelic realm. Turn to Psalm 82. Psalm 82. Here's God's evaluation of them. This is the worldview that the Bible is written in. Many of us have no idea this is going on. Psalm 82, verse 1. God has taken His place in the divine council. That is God and the angels that He has ruling over the nations. In the midst of the gods, He holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Isn't that the heart of God? 
Isn't this what we've been studying? This is what God's heart is for his people? That's God. Verse 5, they have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are God's son to the most high, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. God's not pleased with what this angelic council did over all the nations. Do you remember when Satan came to Jesus and said, if you'll bow down to me, I'll give you authority over all the nations. Where did he get authority over all the nations? It was given to him. He stole it from Adam and Eve, but then at Babylon, those angels, those rulers, those principalities took over the places of all the nations. God says, you're doing it wrong. There's no justice in you. It's full of darkness and sin. And he rebukes them all and he says, you're going to die. These angels. That's eventually the lake of fire. Okay? I'm trying to give you a perspective of the cosmic understanding of what's going on at the cross. Yeah. So, so there, there, there are fallen angels over nations that have divided up. I would believe that there are holy angels. Who are the holy angels? What's the name of the holy angel over Israel? Michael, the archangel. He does battle for Israel. Each nation has an angel. And then Satan mimicked that and took over those other nations in darkness. How about when Daniel's praying and God is sending an angel to answer to Daniel... That angel's held back 21 days. Why? What does he say is going on? He was fighting the spirit over Persia. That principality, that angel. What angel? That council that had authority over that nation. And then he goes back and he said he's going to have to fight the principality of Greece. Because it was going to invade Persia. Alright? All this is going on. So now... We come back to Psalm 2. Why do the nations and the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers. So this is being motivated from the heavenly realm that the nations are raging against Jesus and the people of Israel raging against Jesus. And God is laughing at that because he said, I put my king on that hill. All right, now look at this. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6-8. to Yet among the mature we do, not, we do impart wisdom, although it is not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. We impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. If Herod understood what was going on, if Pontius Pilate understood what was going on, if, if the high priest at that time understood what was going on, but more than that, if the angelic realm of the principalities, rulers, and powers understood what was going on, they would not have moved to get Jesus crucified on that hill. 
But it was God's sovereign plan from the beginning of time, hidden in the mystery of God, that he was going to establish Jesus as Lord and King on that hill. He even got Pontius Pilate to put a sign over his head. What did that sign say? King of the Jews. This day have I begotten you. You're my king. You are the son of David, the rightful heir to call all the nations back. I'm bringing judgment to all those principalities who were ruling over the nations, and I'm bringing all the nations back to me. Jesus did that to raise up an army of believers of people who will now execute judgment against the rulers and principalities and take back the nations for King Jesus. That's what we're to be doing. From the crucifixion to Jesus' return, we are warring in the heavenlies that all nations will come to Jesus Christ as King and ruler. That's what we're supposed to be doing. You have a global ministry. You are ambassadors. You're to wage war. We're to be praying over the United States right now for the injustice, the lying, the cheating, the discrimination that's going on. The church should be at the forefront praying against those powers, pulling them down because our king established his rule and reign from Mount Zion. We have the right to tell every demon, you're done, get lost, get out of here. Amen? Now, I want you to know something, continuing in Psalm 2. Are they just simply giving up and leaving? Those demons. No, they're not. Psalm 2. He goes on, he says, Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoicing with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry, and you perish in the way, for His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. The nations or the rulers and the powers and principalities in the air, they're still raging against Jesus, but he disarmed them. They don't have authority to do anything except deceive mankind. But we have the light and the truth to win mankind to Christ and to bring all nations. We're in a war for the nations. And God laughs at their plans because they will not win. Jesus is coming back with vengeance, with power. He came the first time with grace and mercy and truth. He died for you and I so that we could win the nations back to the Lord. And he's going to gather all the nations once again. Guess where at? Mount Zion. All the nations are continuing to rage, they're continuing to hate Jesus, and they're all going to rally back at Jerusalem. But something's going to happen to Israel. They're going to look and they're going to see the son whom they have pierced. And they will come to receive Jesus as Messiah. And Jesus, with vengeance, will put an end to Satan, the ruling powers and principalities. They will be destroyed and thrown into the lake of fire. 
And if you do not know the Lord as your Savior, you will be thrown into the lake of fire and hell as well. This is the time period in which God is saving the nations, bringing them back. And that's what we're supposed to be doing. This is by God's hand and God's plan. That's why Jesus went to the cross to die. Kiss the Son, lest you make Him angry. What does that mean, kiss the Son? That is an act of reverence and an act of submission that you would bow before the King. How many of you have kissed the Son? With that same power and passion, we have to win the lost. We are acting like cowards. We are acting fearful against the laws of the land and the principalities and economy and finance and and all these issues and sickness and disease. Those are real things. I understand that. These are things that may end up killing us, but we're not going to die. Did anybody read this book? We're not going to die. Our bodies will die, but we'll immediately be with the king and the power of the air. We're to be giving ourselves so completely to winning the nations. Winning the nations. Now that doesn't mean we have to go over to every other nation. The word for nations is ethnos. It's all the races, all the people that are all made in God's image. No matter how confused and confounded they are and no matter how much they hate God. This is our opportunity to win them. And the greatest demonstration for that was the cross of Jesus Christ. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. God planned for Jesus to go there and die to win the nations. 